Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linke. Uniting coaches at every level of the game, around the love of the game, we are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linke. Happy holidays to each and every one of you and all of our great members of United Soccer Coaches. Got a great show for you today. Kevin Flynn, a comedian, former soccer player, soccer pro. You can catch him on tour. You can also catch him in Baltimore. He gets us started with a few laughs or two. Then we're joined by Dr. Ray Sieplik, former legendary coach and athletic director with the U.S. Coast Guard, a 50-year member of the United Soccer Coaches past president of United Soccer Coaches, and for 26 years, he served as the host and essentially the quarterback of the Friday Night Award Ceremony and the Saturday All-American Ceremony, Dr. Ray Sieplik. And our incoming president in January will be Kevin Sims. This man's got great pipes and he's got great passion for the game, and he's going to get his 40-year pin probably about the same night that he's going to get the gavel as the next president of United Soccer Coaches, Kevin Flynn, Kevin Sims, Dr. Ray Sieplik. We'll get things started with the funny man, Kevin Flynn, after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash United. Happy holidays to each and every one of you, our great family of United Soccer Coaches, as this is coming to you the day after Christmas. But happy holidays applies to everybody. We'll get more into that with our special guest. I think about holidays, I think about big smiles, and I think about family, and I think about being happy. I know it can be stressful, but one guy that makes me happy in soccer and around soccer is Kevin Flynn. You can hear him laughing already. He is a successful comedian. He's a movie star, and he also is a big soccer fan. The guy can play it. He can talk about it. He's got the Over the Ball podcast, which you can find on iTunes every Friday, and it's a podcast from America about soccer in parentheses sometimes, but not as you've known it. Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn brings together the worlds of soccer, comedy, and entertainment. Happy holidays, Kevin Flynn. Thanks for kicking off this week's show. Thanks, Dean. It's uh, it's good to talk to you. I love your... The happy holidays things cover everybody, because, you know, for a while there, I started listing everyone to thank them all and wish them all a happy season, but it was like, after all, it took too long. It was a Merry Christmas if you're Christian, Happy Hanukkah if you're Jewish, Ramadan if you're Muslim, uh, Kwanzaa if you're African-American and celebrate that, and after a while, you're like, well, but if you're not one of those, uh, hey, it's cold out. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the the holidays are uh, kind of a very stressful, wild time. We all put ourselves in bankruptcy trying to give our kids presents and uh, pay it off for the rest of the year, and they uh, they play with the box, not the toy that you bought, so... That is also true. We we really do go crazy. Like, wait, wait, do we get them enough? Do we get them enough? And then there's, like, one thing that they really, really like, right, out of the 20 things you got down there. Well, I have, like, a, a bunch of, uh, you know, girls in my life here so that I have to buy for those, uh, all these lotions and uh, buffers and pads and nail clippers and all these beauty items. And then 
they all get it like five different times, and then it just sits around the house for the whole year. Uh, just I'm like, oh, there's uh, 14 bottles of nail polish. Excellent. Let's open up a store, for God's sake. So, but I guess it's part of the package. It all goes in the stocking stuffer. Kevin Flynn, a stand-up comic, former soccer pro. He takes you over the ball every week. More pizza and beer than tea and crumpets. Kevin and his star-studded variety of guests take you for a wildly funny ride as they enhance your relationship with the soccer world. And, Kevin, before we get into soccer, because I kind of wanted to go back and take a look at the year that was, another Women's World sure. Cup, and we're still dealing with the fact that the men didn't make the World Cup uh, over two years ago now. But, right. uh, we, yeah, just uh, if you can – Remind us when you broke into comedy and, and, and the tie-in in soccer. Give us your elevator speech so we all know. Well, uh, yeah, I played in the indoor league in the MISL and uh, APSL for a couple of years. And um, when uh, I was done playing in the indoor league, I took the graduate assistant coaching job at Boston University. And I was coaching there. I was uh, going to graduate school and uh, trying to do stand-up comedy at night. And uh, I was doing all three poorly. So after, you know, I was just totally overscheduled. But uh, after about a year, I won this competition called the Boston Comedy Riot, which was fun because, you know, and I, I look back now, all my friends that I competed against, you know, like in that competition, this the one competition I beat out Louis C.K., Nick DiPaolo, David Cross, Mark Marin, Tom Cotter, Vinny Favorito, Jackie Flynn. And uh, I, I got paired off with the women's winner, Janine Garofalo. We went on a sort of a New England tour. And I became a full-time comedian at that point and sort of dropped out of uh, of grad school. My parents were very happy to learn I was dropping out of grad school and uh, becoming a stand-up comedian, which I always laugh because that was my plan B. You know, plan A was to be a professional soccer player, uh, and plan B was to be a uh, comedian, which many would say is a really crappy plan A. But uh, I, I jumped in on that, and um, after I won that competition, I started to headline around the New England area, stuff to make some money. Moved out to L.A. when I got a couple of television shows to do stand-up. And then um, when the 94 World Cup kind of came around, kind of started kicking around, I sent a tape in to ESPN of uh, some of my soccer highlights. I call them highlights. They perhaps could be quantified as lowlights. Uh, <laughs> goals I scored and things in the indoor league. And then some of my stand-up stuff and did some wraparounds talking about soccer, sent it to ESPN, and they actually called me back, which would never happen today. Uh, and so it was 94 when soccer was just, it was almost like you were, you know, uh, in a cult if you played soccer for some reason. It was like, a, like you were a skateboarder or something. It was sort of outside the norms, and people were like, why don't you play football? Or, you know, whatever. It was back in those days, which people seem to forget a little bit. But um, after I moved out to L.A., I... I started doing stories for ESPN. I uh, started doing for ABC Sports. I was co-hosting a show with Brent Musburger. And uh, I was hosting also a show on the Discovery Channel at that time, too. So I was hosting a lot. And then, then they asked me to host uh, a live sports broadcast uh, in between at halftime of each World Cup game all across the country. So I had great tickets to the games, but I didn't get to use them because I was in the International Broadcast Center in Dallas, I think, where you were. That's how we met during that year. And so uh, that basically was the what I – it wasn't certainly wasn't the start of soccer because there was, uh, you know, a great history that came before that. But that, I feel, was really the start of, uh, of, of people being cognizant of, of this game, this world game. And uh, the 94 World Cup, for you and I, I know we just had a magical time. It was unbelievable. It just – was an absolute blast. The weather was great. The crowds were great, and uh, soccer had finally arrived in the United States. 
of course, it was a long road for uh, you know for MLS to sort of take hold and, and get going, but uh, but that's even moved up. And so, look, you know, you talk about the disappointment of the World Cup. Uh, yeah, incredibly disappointed. It was a huge step back, but we had taken massive steps forward, and I think we all cannot forget that. And now, having said that, I think there there has to be some some changes made. We we you know we're 300 million people. We should be qualified for the World Cup. And we should be doing well in it. So, uh, so that's my, that was an elevator speech. That's like the longest ride in history. That's, uh, <laughs> that, if that's an elevator speech, it's, it's a couple of, uh, World Trade Centers and, uh, Empire State Building. So, um, but that's my, that's my spiel. That's how I got into the game. And, you know, so I started doing, um, you know, all that time while I was hosting television shows, I was also doing stand up, which is my first, you know, kind of love. So, uh, so I've been doing that. And then I got, uh, a show when Sirius XM FC started, I, you know, had a criticism that I've always had of broadcasting in America about soccer. It was always a foreign, a foreign language, you know, an English accent, um, or English was the second language of the people who were broadcasting and covering the game. And I thought, why don't I start a radio show that uh, is the world's game, but from an American perspective, talk about you know, the U.S. soccer and, and the, the coaching and the licensing pro- process and uh, youth leagues, development, high school, college, all the stuff that's completely um, sometimes ignored from the major uh, media sports outlets. And uh, so I got on there on, on Sirius XMFC. It uh, became the number one show after eight months. And then um, they uh, they let me go after I won the talk show of the year. <laughs> so apparently it's <laughs> difficult. I went to ESPN and uh, the numbers were really good there. It was uh, the show was really working, but in one day they let uh, they they cut a hundred podcasts out of one hundred and thirty, so they only kept thirty. So, uh, and I of course went in going like, oh, why? Because it's soccer, and they're like, no, uh, hockey, football, baseball. They let a bunch go, so uh, they just decided to down uh, sort of downsize their podcast. And when that happened, I decided to go out on my own, and this has been great. Uh, soccer America has been a sponsor. And uh, Ticket IQ has been a sponsor. So, uh, so you know, the soccer world changes all the time. But uh, we're, we're on an upward trajectory. I think we're, we've hit a little bit of a bump. But, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to heading to the convention in January. Oh, great. It's always great to see you there. Because a lot of times you do some comedy acts periodically right around some of the conventions, right? Yeah, I'm in Baltimore this year. I'm doing a corporate event. Uh, I've you know, scheduled a few things around it. But... No soccer-specific event. It's uh, it's actually tough to pin people down to sit down for an hour and a half and watch a comedy show. <laughs> you know, it's uh, a yeah. convention. And for those people who haven't gone, it is just you know everybody from all across the country, actually around the world, come to this convention, and it's just a huge reunion for anybody who's played or coached. Uh, for people who are new to the game, it's just a, it's amazing to me, you know, to, to meet all the Soccer America writers, to, you know, to hang out with Ian Barker and talk to him about soccer and where things are going and, um, just everybody's down there. So I always say everybody's sort of in a, in a, it's a party atmosphere, an educational atmosphere, if you can actually meld those two together. Uh, so I always have a lot of fun seeing all my old, uh, you know, friends that I played with and, uh, just a great time. So nobody wants to sit and listen to me talk for an hour, do stand up comedy. So, plus they've had a few cocktails by that time. So, <laughs> we're here with Kevin Flynn. His inviting energy can capture any crowd, unafraid to crack open and ogle life's absurdity. This comic's relatable. Sense of humor has made him a favorite at comedy clubs and colleges across the planet. And I actually did appreciate the, the elevator speech, Kevin, because to me, it, and I don't know if I told you this before, but 
the 94 experience, I think of five people that, um, and even with my mom and dad, I tell them, like, what do you remember most about it? And you're one of them. So I say, well, in, in a period of about two or three weeks, I was with Jay Leno where we had Alexi Lalas on, Dan Cortez, and that former big-time volleyball player, I think her last name was Fuentes. Uh, Which one? Oh, Daisy Fuentes? Daisy Fuentes? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she was, was there. Kevin Flynn, there was another actor who still liked doing some stuff that was around Ted Koppel and Bob Costas and then Pele. They were all were like around within a month period. And yeah. I throw you right in there with those guys, Kevin, because one, you kept me laughing the entire time, but that was such a fun time because everywhere you turned, people wanted to, to touch and fill that U.S. team, right? And you look at those guys now, Alexi Lawless and, and Tad Ramos and, and John Hart and Eric Winalda and Kobe Jones. I mean, they all went on to great success and different things, a lot of them doing what you do, right, being TV stars. Well, I loved that group of uh, players, man. They uh, they worked hard. They were proud Americans. They went out and represented every time. And, uh, you know, the skill level for American players has gone up. The pool has gotten larger. But, man, they, you know, I think the players today could certainly take a um, – Take a page out of that book of those players because, man, they, they were at it. They were representing us, uh, you know, kind of felt like the first time in 94 when the game was here. They were playing at home. They were playing for the country, and they really took it seriously. They uh, they worked their butt off. So, yeah, it's great to see. It's great to see. And it's also interesting to see how they've all gone in different directions, you know. Claudia's in the in the uh, front office, and uh, Winald's been on air, and then now he's coaching, and you know, Alexi, even back then, was always, uh, he was a walking, talking soundbite. The guy always had something interesting to say. It would either annoy me or, or make me laugh, but it was always, like, really entertaining. And, you know, I would interview all the guys, and, uh, you know, something like Claudia. Claudia, God, one of the greatest players this country's ever produced, but he was basically a shy kid. You know, yep. and I mean, uh, it would be uh, Claudia and Mike Burns in the corner, just like, <laughs> just like, totally intimidated yeah. by big presence like Winalda and Harks and uh, Alexi, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, Claudia's gone on to do his thing. Um, Mike, for a long time, GM of the, of the revolution, and, uh, of course, Alexi is a, is a big TV star, you know, so, uh, it's, uh, it's been fun to watch them all develop as well. Well, and it hasn't been, uh, disappointing to watch the, amazing emergence of Major League Soccer. Kevin, with the announcement of Charlotte, there are now 30 teams, and a lot of them are blowing it out, right? Just blowing it out when you think yeah. about what Atlanta's doing and Portland's doing and LAFC's doing and Seattle is doing. I mean, it's just amazing. When you sit back and think about how big MLS is right now, right here, isn't it crazy? Well, you know, it's it's fantastic, actually. And, you know, you, you look at... Uh, Something that uh, Alan Rothenberg and, and Mark Abbott started all those years ago. I think they had vision to make this uh, sort of a centrally owned sort of league where we couldn't, you know, when I was a professional player, I'd get my paycheck and I would run down to the bank to cash it. You know, and that was a time when bank, uh, you know, lawyers and doctors were basically the owners of teams and it was sort of a, uh, you know, um, a sort of an ego driven thing and passion, but, uh, yeah, to see 30 teams now uh, is absolutely amazing. But having said that, I think one thing that we need to do is to start to make it, um, you know, national because so many of these teams uh, provincially do so well. I, I mean, you go to a Seattle game, Portland game, LA game, you know, uh, the games are so fantastic. But we've got to get it so that just like uh, NFL football, people watch these national rivalries, uh, you know, LA playing NYCFC and 
Um, you know, I think a big part uh, of that is what we do, Dean, which is is the media. Um, you know, the way we want to cover these cover these games, the stories, the people behind it. Um, and so it's growing, and I'm it's amazed that Don Carver's done a great job. 30, 30 teams. I would have never thought that in my lifetime, for sure. Um, but uh, it's happening. It's happening in this country. So, uh, and we have four, you know, we have another more more ways to go. Because I also think, like, you know, with what's going on in football, um, you know, uh, the numbers are declining there. It's going to be a long, slow, downward uh, tilt for them. But I think soccer can, can sort of step up into the forefront there. Um, and even with baseball, numbers are off with viewing and, and participation. Um, soccer's a great game. It's an international game. I think people finally are starting to uh, realize that. Not just domestically, but, yeah, there's an international game out there. That's so well said. I, I love your point about uh where football is going and how soccer can fill that void. One thing, mm. uh, one group that's not going anywhere are the women. The U.S. women, the NWSL, best league in the world. I mean, you're talking about back-to-back World Cup titles. They continue to be the most dominant program out there. Yeah, they're fighting for some things. They may not get everything they want, but the U.S. women and the women's pro league, really strong. Kevin, your thoughts on that? Well, look, you know, the, the, the women's thing is, a, is an apple and oranges. I think, you know, for most of, you know, a couple of things happen when I go back to my hometown around Thanksgiving or Christmas. Um, you know, all my buddies who are football players, their kids are all playing soccer now. They don't want them to play football, and some of them are dealing with, you know, certain injuries. And, and then the one, that, the silent one, you know, which is with the brain trauma that, um, that they sort of, you know, players, guys who play football at a higher level face. Um, so I hear that, and then I also hear why the U.S. men can't win the World Cup um, like the U.S. women do. And to them, I do say it's apples and oranges. Our women are the most well-funded team in the world. Um, Title IX has given the United States women a huge advantage on uh, player pool and development, and rightly so. Um, but, you know, when you compare the American team to Argentina, Uruguay, Spain, you know, that those, those countries, they play one sport. And it's soccer, and the whole country is behind it, and it's a, it's a different deal. Now, our women have actually led by example across the world. Many of these teams that they play, um, you know, women haven't even been able to play soccer for most of the year. So I I think uh, the U.S. women have an advantage, a great advantage. They're they're sort of leading the world on women's rights, and showing them the example. Like think about like um, Cisse in Brazil. She said she couldn't play soccer in the streets. She wasn't allowed as a woman. She had to play on the rooftop of her favela. Uh, it was illegal for women to even uh, kick a soccer ball until I think um, 1989 in Brazil. So here's a country that's crazy about soccer, but, but people weren't playing. Women had no rights. Uh, the Middle East, uh, Europe, the sexism, the machismo there, women weren't allowed to play. So U.S. women have, by example, opened up doors for all of the women around the world. Now, having said that, they also should win the World Cup, I think, every year because they have more advantages than everybody else. So, uh, and... I think if you want to support the women, a lot of people came out and saying, oh, we support women and, and, and um, equal rights, which I'm all for. If you want to support the women, go out and support NWSL. Support the domestic league. It's the best way to support the women's, the women's team and then the national team ultimately. So, uh, so that's my thoughts on that one. It's not always popular either. I get a lot of pushback saying, why can't you just say the women are the best in the world? I said, well, you got to quantify that. you gotta, you got to say that because if you're saying that the men can't win but the women do, well, you've got to compare it. And, and say, well, what's the competition like? 
Yep, we're here with Kevin Flynn, a comedian, a podcast host, a <laughs> soccer expert, and I, I do like talking about the fact that uh, besides appearing in some comedy specials on NBC, MTV, and A&E, you also have been in The Heartbreak Kid. I love that movie with Ben Stiller. Yeah. Me, myself, and Irene, I love that scene with Jim Carrey. I've most of shows with Bill Murray, and you've also been in HBO Sex in the City. you got the one-man show around the kitchen table, and you do all kinds of things in Nantucket. That's not a bad place to do anything, right? But the Nantucket no, we, Comedy Festival, yeah. all the work you do there, that's, Kevin, that, that's a great place, part of the world, right? Great part of the world that, you know, uh, I know I don't sound very funny right now, but I guess I, I always get passionate about soccer. I start talking about, you know, I, I get uh, off of my soapbox. But, yeah, I, um, when I, uh, after I played ball, I, I had bought a little place out there and rented it out in Nantucket, and then I got married and was out there. So I would, I would live in New York City all year, and then on the, in the summertime, on Sunday mornings, after I would work in the city as a comedian, I would fly out to Nantucket when everybody's really coming back the other way. And I uh, I would do stand-up on Monday nights, and I'd spend Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on Nantucket, and then head back to the city or wherever I was traveling for my weekend gigs. And it was a great, great setup. Um, but, you know, one of the things I would always uh, help out coaching, um, you know, with the high school team when I was out there, just kind of knock it around and, and uh, do what I could. And uh, they had a rash of suicides out there, teenage suicides. I think I believe it was six uh, suicides in, in a three-year period. So I decided to start the Nantucket Comedy Festival uh, to go out there, basically bring out a bunch of my friends, Louis Black, Jim Gaffigan, uh, Brian Regan, all these guys to come out and basically do a couple of workshops for some of the high school kids because comedy is a lot like music. Uh, kids think it's cool. They'll listen to you and, um, you know, it you know, stand up and public speaking can empower people, especially young ones. And so uh, we started to say, okay, let's do these workshops for these kids. They were really well attended. And I said, well, why we have the comedians out here, let's do a show at night for the adults to fund the program in the day. And that's how we sort of founded this uh, this program called Stand Up and Learn, which is a, a nonprofit educational program that teaches kids self-esteem and and, um, and uh, builds, you know, builds self-confidence through public speaking. So, uh, the program's going national um, in the spring of this year, so it'll be available to uh, teachers all across the country for a nominal fee. How to teach junior high school and high school kids how to do stand-up comedy to empower them. So uh, that's how it, the festival started, and um, it, it's been a, it's been a great ride. It's been one of my passions uh, to uh, you know teach these kids this this thing and give them the power of like what you mentioned earlier, laughter. You know, and it's pretty it's pretty cool to watch it. An eleven-year-old kid go up there and start talking about his mom, mom and dad. It's pretty hysterical, you know. Yeah, when when you think about laughter, Kevin, take me. Uh, this is going to be a tougher one, but take me to one of your best moments in the world of comedy, that type of thing, and then tell me about uh, one day that uh, maybe there were some crickets in the crowd. I mean, I I know it's rare that there's crickets with you, but one day I, I heard it happens to everybody. No, it, it that's you know. Look, the the better you get and the better gigs that you do, uh, it happens less frequently. You know, much much rarer. But when you start, it it happens all the time. Generally, it happens more than than uh, than a great crowd. Because look, when you start as an open micer, um, I was in Boston. Um, you know, like I said, I was sitting with Neil Roberts, the legendary coach at Boston University. We were going over a lineup. We were sitting at a, a club called Stitches Comedy Club, and it was an open mic night, and they were. They were just terrible. And I was like, wow, I think I could do this. So uh, I went up and, 
and uh, you know, like two weeks later, and, and tried my hand at it, and it is a long, you know, long, slow process. You can almost say like an athlete, right? You're a good athlete, but you need to practice to get good, and you need, you know, you need your reps to to start to develop. And that's the same thing with uh, with comedy. You know, I I'd get on stage, I'd sign up for all these open mic nights. And uh, there would be 10 people who would get to perform. There would be maybe 12 people in the crowd. So that's like 10 comedians and two civilians who are just sitting there watching. They didn't know. Um, you know, and so basically you're, you're up in front of tough crowds over and over and over again. Um, and then you just learn. You get better and better. But, like, hey, look, I've done, I've done a corporate event. You know, you do these corporate events sometimes, uh, and they, you get paid really well for it. But sometimes it's crickets. It really is. You know, it's just like, you know, I did one last year in Atlantic City, a huge corporate event. Um, I walk in a half hour early just to kind of scope it out. It's around a uh, marble pool at the Ocean Club in Atlantic City. You know, huge case event, but there's like maybe 50 people spread out over an 80-yard pool <laughs> around in a circle. Uh, they have no microphone. Um, you know, and, and I... You know, getting a, you know, you're getting a bunch of money for this gig, and you're kind of walking in, going, uh, "Where am I doing the show?" And they're like, "Oh, right here, poolside." I'm like, "Uh, okay, okay." People are eating, they're looking at me, they have no idea who I am or what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, and so when I walked in a half hour early just to look around and see what a nightmare was about to unfold, the guy goes, "Oh, here he is. He's early. Come on up here." Like no credits, no anything, and I just walk up like I'm a. Like I'm a, you know, a drifter off the streets. Hey, how's it going? How's the egg roll? Good. You know, so you, you just got to suck it up, man, you know, and you just, you kind of, you know, just kind of tough it out. You're know, like, yeah, all right, here we go. The thing is, as I, you know, progressed, uh, I know that I'm funny and I'm good. And so sometimes it doesn't work. And you're like, hey, that's the, that's the deal. Jerry Seinfeld used to say, if you want to make it uh, your birthday every night, uh, you can if you're in these hot comedy clubs. But, uh, the one thing you do as a comic is to not take the uh, standing ovation so seriously, and you don't take the crickets so seriously either. You just sort of even it out. And, uh, even on those really, really bad gigs, I remember when I first started in Boston, I'd be, I'd be driving back to, uh, driving back to my home, you know, and I'd be like, well, that was a horrible gig, but you know what? The ca- the check is going to get cashed. There you go. And it's okay. <laughs> and I'll wake up yeah, and fight another day tomorrow. Yeah. Who's your go-to, like, there's always one go-to uh, on your over-the-ball, like, you're thinking about, and I know you're like me, I try to get different people every single week, 50 yep. weeks a year, but who's your one go-to standby best interview you can always count on on your show, Kevin? I was I was going to Mike Wartola out on the West Coast, I wake him up early, you know, he's never happy yep. about that, but the thing is about Soccer America, you know, Dean, when you and I were playing and, and sort of growing up, that was the Bible for soccer. I remember, you know, running down even to my college uh, mailbox, you know, to, to get Soccer America. I, you know, my subscription was Kevin Keegan Flynn. I remember having it as that. And, and uh, boy, you just would, you know, you if you made that, that little paper, that periodical, man, you were, you were in heaven. And they do, there's so much to cover. You know this from, from your podcast. It's like, there's the international people like Syria Ah and, and Ligoon and you know everything going on overseas and the international game, the Champions League, the Premier League, the domestically, MLS, the USL. You know, it's like wow, there is so much to cover out there. Uh, you know, Saturday and Sundays, if you're a soccer person, you, you're watching these games all day. Uh, you know, the Premier League in the in the morning, and you're watching MLS later on in the day from the West Coast. And 
so much to cover that I find that Soccer America, you know, and this is a plug. They are my one of my sponsors. Full, full disclosure here, but they cover everything. So I, I get to you know look at what they put out every day and sort of say, all right, this is what's going on here. Even the under 17s, you know, you, you get to keep track of them. And so Mike, I always give him a hard time because he. He writes about four articles a day for Soccer America. I don't know how he does yeah. it. I don't know how he has a life. So, uh, so yeah. whenever I need to check in on things, if I'm a bit overwhelmed on uh, the soccer news, I would give Mike a call and uh, wake him up, and uh, we start talking you know, soccer. So, as Alanis Morrison would say, isn't it ironic? Because I was thinking about this week's show, and it's always a little tough around the holidays. And mm-hmm. my two choices were, in fact, Mike and you, and but because <laughs> of the time zone. I knew you were on uh, my side of the world, so I was like, I'm going to take Kevin Flynn, and uh, and I'm going to go with, you know, humor and and good looks over soccer, uh, you know, more soccer stuff. So you're the the first part there, Kevin. Um, (laughs) I don't know about the good looks part. (laughs) Wait, now, what about about impressions? Are there – is there anybody that you do a big-time impression of, Kevin, or is that not part of your routine? No, no, I don't do impressions. I just do, do, you know, I mean, I'll do a French accent or a German, you know, all that stuff, but I don't do specific people. Um, I'm very physical on stage. Uh, you know, even look, you know, you, you're dealing with the coaches association. Uh, you know, the way we have coached kids has had to change because you used to have that sort of drill sergeant uh, coach who, you know, would yell out uh, expletives and at everything else, and that's just not acceptable anymore. And sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the parents, but you know, I have a sister who's, you know, whose kids all played and she was like at every practice and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, let your son go on his own journey with, with coaching and everything. But, you know, either the, uh, all those accents and the humors and the crass humor that, uh, even that was in the comedy clubs in the early days, it sort of, it sort of changed a, a little bit. I was, I was watching Blazing Saddles the other night with some, um, with some comedy writers and, uh, boy, you could never do that, uh, that that movie now just there's just no way you'd get it made it, it just wouldn't happen you know I got it I see so you had to you had to adjust a little bit I got it all right just a couple more and we'll let you go like I mentioned that uh, you were in movies with Ben Stiller and Jim Carrey and Bill Murray and and you said a, a collection of great comedians that are still your go-to guys but a level celebrities like who's your favorite who's been the most interesting the one that you're like wow that guy yeah he's worth millions he's been in a lot of movies or even gal. But man, they're really cool. I, I like knowing that they're kind of a friend or somebody that I at least spent some quality time with. Well, I mean, for me, I've, I've got to say, and I don't know if this—he's well, an Oscar winner, so it would be the Peter Farrelly and the Farrelly brothers. They are—they okay. are almost—they're the nicest people. They are so untainted by the Hollywood crap that uh, you know. I, I lived in L.A. for years, and, and um, you can get caught up in that Hollywood sort of lifestyle and, and what's. Uh, you know, you got your kids going to school talking about whose dad grossed more in the movies that that weekend, you know, and you're kind of like, you get kind of uh, a little discombobulated. And I will, will say that the, the Fairly Brothers, and Pete is, is a good friend of mine, you know, he cast me in one of the movies and I got to know him that way. He's been to my, uh, you know, my comedy shows. Just a great person. I watch how he treats everyone and it's, it's pretty amazing. And then I, I would say Jim Carrey, you know, um, Jim has just been... Um, just been a, a wonderful uh, guy, and I watch how he treats everybody. He, he treats everybody really, really well, and um, you know he's he's uh, giving a voice to his sort of political views now, uh, which I admire because it's it's not always easy. A lot of entertainers don't don't sort of put their opinions out there because they're afraid it'll affect their bottom line. But I uh, I always love when when 
you know, men and women do step up and say, hey, this is this is what I think, and this isn't right, and uh, you speak truth to power. So um, I've, I've had a, and one one person who I have have always, I've been very good friends with for years and years, and uh, I truly love the man uh, was Jerry Stiller. Um, I um, you know I went to his Christmas party the other night, uh, a Jewish guy having a Christmas party or a Festivus party, <laughs> as he calls it. Um, but he, I said, you know, I, I wrote to his daughter, I said, he, you know. Jerry Stiller is inviting me to a Christmas party. This doesn't—it's either got to be Festivus or a Hanukkah party. Uh, sure, but uh, but what a wonderful guy! And I knew uh, Stiller and Mira. Um, and in fact, on the very first comedy festival that I had on Nantucket, I t- talked to Ann and Jerry, and Mira, Jerry Stiller, and I said I wanted to have um, a roast, basically, of them. But I wanted to call it a toast, just sort of a good thing. And um, so I had that. So I told. Uh, Stiller and Mira that I had Peter and Bobby Farrelly and then I went over to Bobby and Peter Farrelly and I said hey I have Stiller and Mira so I told them both that I had the other and they both you know said right away yeah I'm in and so uh, you know I got to know those guys actually uh, pretty well in fact Peter and Bobby sat in a hotel room and went over what they were going to do their scene and they asked me to direct and I go wow this is really weird (laughs) I'm directing the Farrelly brothers so I think I'm one of the few people that actually say that I directed those guys uh, but there are good people out there. You just got to find them. Finally, Kevin Flynn, the host of Over the Ball, celebrated comedian. Tell us, uh, this is a two-part question. Tell us uh, where we can find you coming up. Promote yourself. Let us know where we can hear you, find you, see you, and then end with why you're going to be in Baltimore and why you think it's so great to be hang around all these great United Soccer Coaches folks. Well, uh, so you've done your homework. You've got actually a list of questions. I think you're them off. Um, I might forget what they were, but um, I, look, I love going to the convention. I love going to the it's like It's like your alumni game or your reunion, your high school reunion. It's it's Your whole life is there in front of you, the guys that you knew when you were 15, 16, in your 20s, through college, the guys. Um, you know, it's funny. Like last night, a friend of mine said his son was going to uh, DePaul, and I said, oh, or, or, or uh, Marquette. And I said, oh, I, and I looked who the head coach was, just out of the blue. I said, well, I might know the coach. I don't know. I'll check it out. And I look, and it's Louis Bennett, and I played in the indoor league with him. And I'm like, you know, it's just every time there's a coach somewhere, there's a connection that I have, you know, uh, in a Kevin Bacon sort of way. So I love going to the convention and seeing everybody and talking shop. You know, we're going to be there. The Over the Ball podcast will be there um, doing, you know, conducting interviews and broadcasting live at certain times. And so uh, I'm really excited to um, – to get caught up with uh, with with all my friends. And what was the other question? Where can we find you? Where can people see you? We got anything coming up? Any stand ups? Anything anywhere? Yes, yeah, so I'm all, I'm touring. I'll be uh, God, where am I? I'm in um, I'm in Baltimore the, the night before. But that's a, that's a corporate and then a private event uh, after that. Uh, maybe maybe we'll do something impromptu when we're in Baltimore. I'm not sure. Um, I'll be at the Lake Tahoe Improv in uh, in March. I'm actually touring around the New England area right now with a one-person show I wrote called Fear of Heights. It uh, it talks about, um, it's, it's a comedy, they call it a dramedy, because it's, uh, it's basically a little of both. It's about um, my grandfather. I don't know if you know that very famous photo where those iron workers are sitting high above the yeah. city eating their lunch. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you look to the farthest to the right, uh, that's my grandfather, uh, Patrick Flynn. Um, wow. Who... Yeah, so it, it, we, it looks like him, and we always thought it was him, but there was a couple of people they thought it might have been, uh, Patty Flynn, my grandfather, or a man named Sonny Glynn. But uh, about two years ago, a, a documentary company 
uh, found some other photos of uh, the workers that day and contacted my family and said, did your grandfather have four fingers on his left hand? And he did. And so since that discovery, it's pretty much been, uh, you know, a bit of gospel that it's, that was my grandfather. So I, I basically write about that my grandfather was an ironworker, my father was an ironworker, and how I grew up, uh, you know, in an ironworker family, but went on to do these other things because of the, you know, the hard work and sacrifices that my parents made. So it, it takes me through my, uh, my soccer career, uh, and my stand-up career, and then, you know, some stuff that happened to me in LA. And uh, and then on to becoming a, a father and a husband living in New York. So it's, uh, it's been fun. I've been doing it at, at a bunch of theaters. It opened um, uh, the Boston Comedy Festival and, and also the Nantucket Arts Festival. So um, it's gotten some great reviews. So we'll see. So look for that in your local area because uh, I'm taking it around the country. Yeah. And, well, gosh, and you know, that picture resonates like all the time i think about that picture all the time right like particularly when i see buildings being built and stuff like i could just yeah. never do that ever ever do that and <laughs> no, that picture, tell me about I, I, I often think about that one thing i could always do is spend time with kevin flynn uh, he's awesome that's the deal kevin flynn he's Thanks. awesome and he kicks off our show happy holidays kevin flynn you are a classic, and we're so glad that uh, you love the game as much as we do and that you also do it with a smile and a sense of humor. You are the man. Happy holidays, my man. Dean, thanks so much, uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you down in Baltimore. Yeah, I'll be with you on Podcast Row, my man. Can't wait. Kevin Flynn, happy holidays. All the best. All the best, pal. Thanks so much, Kevin. Up next, Dr. Ray Seafley. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap, our holiday edition. And also, as you know, we're getting ready for the 2020 convention in Baltimore where Dr. Ray Seaflake is always present. He's a red apron. He's an honor award winner. He does it all. He's been a member for 50 years. This will be his 50th year, and for 26 of those years, he has been the host of the Honor Banquet and the All-America Banquet. Dr. Ray Seafleet joins me now on the show. Dr. Ray, happy holidays. Thanks for being with me. Happy holiday to you, Dean, and all the listeners out there. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to uh, discussing a few things with you. Fifty years you've been a member of uh, United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA. To me, that says it all about what the organization means. You, you hang with something for 50 years, you must really like it, Dr. Ray. What, why has it been so special? Well, the uh, organization, the Coaches Association, has been a really uh, important part of my professional life as well as my collegial life and dealing with uh, the other individuals that have been members for all those years. 
Uh, it really has been something special. It's been a way to give back uh, to the game that's been so good to all of us. And uh, even in my so-called retirement, which is not really a retirement, it's a retirement from going to a full-time job every day, it's uh, really gratifying to, to help those who are coming along as uh, aspiring coaches and active coaches uh, and be able to give something back to them so they can develop themselves as well. Remind everybody that Dr. Ray Seafleet, back on October 26, 2010, stepped down in his role of Director of Athletics at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, where for 40 years he worked in the athletics department, starting as an instructor of physical education and coach of the men's soccer team in 1970. And so, really, as much as United Soccer Coaches has been special, Coast Guard Pretty special place. Yes, it, and it's pretty unusual in uh, in current days here where people change jobs so frequently. But I was very fortunate. I moved on from my alma mater, Springfield College, where I thought I was going to spend the rest of my career coaching for legendary coach Irv Schmidt. And when I got an opportunity to apply and, and then be appointed as the head soccer coach at the age of, ripe young age of 24 back then, it was a tremendous opportunity for me and for my family, and it became not just a job. It became a way of life, Dean, uh, being able to train future leaders of the United States Coast Guard and, and to see them mature. All coaches have that. They get great satisfaction out of seeing their players develop and, and mature into really contributing adults. And uh, we're no different. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, I've, I've had a number of my players now who have become admirals. And actually, the, the head of the entire organization, Admiral Carl Schultz, was a center back for our team back in 1983. And he now heads up the entire Coast Guard. During your time as AD, you think about uh, Coast Guard, i, I got to admit, I don't necessarily think of it as an athletic power, but the teams advanced the NCAA championship twice each in men's basketball, softball, and volleyball with the men's basketball and volleyball teams advancing to the NCA Elite Eight. That's pretty legit, Dr. Steakley. Yes, it is. And, and uh, we had a good stretch of years there. We were very fortunate at that time. We had some great recruited uh, uh, cadet athletes. Uh, they did very well on the regional and national scene. And we were able to do some things in upgrading facilities. We put in a brand-new soccer and track complex. Uh, we uh, resurfaced the football field, and we did some other very interesting things there to upgrade the program, added a couple of sports, including instituting women's soccer for the first time a year after I became athletic director. So, again, it, it was great. Um, and, and, Dean, when you're working with professionals and uh, the athletes that we had there, those cadets I mentioned that were aspiring to be good Coast Guard leaders, uh, my approach was pretty simple. When I was a coach, I wanted to be the kind of coach that I wanted my sons to have. <clears throat> and then when I became athletic director, I tried to become the kind of an athletic director that the coaches would like to have. Uh, so that, that kind of gave you the inspiration uh, to go to work every day with your head up and doing the best you can. Well, you mentioned uh, your sons. You have three outstanding sons, three grandchildren, and let's see, 50 years with United Soccer Coaches. We talked about the multiple years with the Coast Guard. How many years have you and your wife been married now, Dr. Seaplick? And We passed the 51-year plateau last summer in August, so uh, it was not long after we got married that I joined the association, and 
and uh, Kathy has been a part of that as well. She accompanies me to the conventions and helps out, has helped out for a number of years, and now she can socialize with some of the other spouses that are there. So um, it's been a good partnership, and actually our three sons have been involved in soccer as well. Uh, two of them had the, uh, I guess it would be privilege or maybe the disappointment to have to play for their father at the academy. Uh, Chris and uh, Scott, the oldest and the youngest, played for me and were graduates of the academy. And Tim, uh, our middle son, uh, has also been involved, still is very active and actively involved in coaching. So I guess you could say we're we're a soccer family and always have been. Well, and I know your your wife enjoys it just as much as you. It's always as uh, great to see her just as it is to see you there. And I know she looks forward to it just as much as you do. Now, talk about, uh, if you can, this is 26 years where you have hosted these amazing banquets. And, folks, there are two, 3,000 people at these banquets. I think there were times where maybe even there were more than that since that they've kind of done different variations of it over the years, as you know, Dr. Steepley, but Tell me about uh, when the light went on and said, hey, I can host this thing. I can take ownership of this thing because, to be fair, you don't just host it. I mean, you write it. You make sure everybody knows where they're supposed to be. I mean, you're the quarterback of this entire operation with the great support of the awards committee, obviously. And, you know, I'll let you say some of those names. But what made you say, you know what, I like doing this? Well, uh, again, at that time, uh, back in my first one was 1994, and it uh, the original format was they had presidents, three vice presidents, and there was a responsibility for the vice president, one of the vice presidents, to run the convention in addition to their day job of coaching soccer. So they actually had to not only host it, but they actually um, did the emceeing. And so in 1994, for some reason, somebody asked me if I would be willing to do it. And I stepped up and said, sure, I'll, I'll be glad to do it. I don't mind public speaking and, and introducing folks. And so I've always taken the tact that my job, uh, first and foremost, is to recognize the people who are being uh, presented with those annual awards. And that's the fun part of the job. And as the year went on, and there were years went on, and there were some changes in the way that they ran the banquets and the conventions. Uh, I was, I guess, the the long-term knowledge, the historian of how those banquets ran, and so they looked to me to kind of set the script and to set the format, and they filled in all the blanks. So there's a big supporting staff, um, but I guess I, I'm the guy they look to now to coordinate and to set up the uh, the basic framework of it. And over the years, as uh, folks who have gone to the convention know, the number of people at the banquet, it used to be that every convention person had a ticket to go to the banquet, uh, and then that became a little bit unrealistic. And so now it's scaled down to about 600, uh, which is still a pretty awesome number for banquet purposes for giving the major awards and the Coach of the Year awards. And so it takes a lot of coordination, and, and the association um, has come into the assist of Harvest Productions, a professional production group, and they have really spiced up the program with videos and uh, graphics and stage setups and so on. But it's really the hands-on people in the national office, along with folks like you and me, who make that thing go during the night. Um, 
that awards committee is just unbelievable. You know, uh, Dean, on an average year, they give out 11,000 awards to coach association members. Now, that's uh, coaches of the year, uh, all of the uh, recognition awards, all of the all-state, all-region, and all-America awards for high school. So it's really an unbelievable um, scaled operation. Steve Veal is the in-person uh, in the office who is the awards coordinator, uh, awards manager. John Mayer, again, he's a, he's a former high school coach, girls high school coach, who does a tremendous job as the awards coordinator and uh, works with Steve. And then they have a bunch of subcommittees that uh, really manage the day-to-day operation of seeking nominations and voting and so forth. So uh, it's hard to describe just, you'd have to look at it on the flow chart and just see how many people are involved in the success of this. And when it comes to Friday night and then Saturday for the All-America reception now, it's up to guys like you and me to uh, make them all look good. And that's the fun part of the job. Yeah, well, you do such a great job. You're such a great professional. And one of the sort of fun moments of every Friday night at the awards banquet is when you pause to say, you know, hey, let's think back on what we were doing 50 years ago. And you do that uh, because you always recognize those who have been there 50 years. And I touched on it already, Dr. Seaflick, but what will it mean to get your 50-year pin? Well, it, 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 there are two things. It's uh, You look on a career of great membership to a terrific organization, but uh, you step back and you say, you know, I used to announce those guys who were a bunch of old guys getting their 50-year pin, <laughs> and then uh, now I'm going to um, have you announce uh, the old guys getting a 50-year pin, and I guess I'm one of them. But uh, I think my line that night, Dean, is going to be that I was very fortunate to have the association allow me to join when I was 12. So. It's, uh, it, it's a real tribute. <laughs> well, so that'll work because, unfortunately, you look younger than I do. You take, <laughs> you take great shape. And you know what? I, it, it actually takes some stamina. Now, look, I'm not going to compare this to running to a marathon <laughs> or anything like that, but I will tell you to stand up there for two, three hours up and down and and to stay on point, it, it is taxing on the brain and the body. It really is, is it not? Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, you can't miss a beat. We've got to watch, and, and you don't want to look like you're reading a script up there. You want to look like you're naturally uh, announcing folks, and you're handing back and forth to you and me so they don't listen to just, you know, one voice. Uh, and you're right, going up and down the stairs and keeping the uh, the thing moving so that it doesn't draw out to be a, an unbelievably long event. You know, it's packed full. And I think we run it pretty efficiently. Last year, I think it was done, in, uh, including the meal, in about two hours and 40 minutes. So I thought uh, with the number of awards that we have uh, on pace, it really is taxing mentally. At the end of that night, I'm just ready to, to sit back and, uh, you know, have a have a Pepsi Cola or something or maybe something <laughs> a little stronger. Uh, and then, then get fired up again the next day because the All-America uh, reception is uh, going from one to about four, and that has about fifteen hundred in the audience. So you really can't step uh, mess up here, and you've got to keep it moving because, uh, uh, like a TV show, uh, everybody's looking uh, to see the thing move on, and and you don't want to have any stumbles in there and pauses. So it's uh, it's got to be a well-oiled machine. You know, it's kind of interesting your comments about that because I call a lot of games and a lot of sports and 
My main thing is just always trying to just maintain your focus, maintain your focus. Don't lose anything because people are at home. They're expecting you to make that big call. And I got to tell you, even with the convention and the Friday night thing, I feel myself, particularly when you honor people that have been close to me, like an Anson Dorrance or an Al Albert, people that I've been around for years, having called their games for years, there's a little extra special touch, and I get kind of caught up in it. Sometimes I even get a little bit emotional myself. And it's like, okay, you got to stay focused because that's my biggest fear, right? Like, hey, oh yeah, turn to go, Dean. Where are you? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And uh, and and you do have to make the transitions. And and I understand how emotional it can be. You had the uh, privilege last year at the All America reception to introduce last year's honorary All America, Hank Steinbrecher. And and you worked with Hank back uh, in the World Cup back in '94 uh, and. Uh, to introduce him at this stage of his life and getting that major award has to be emotional. So you can't get too carried away on it, and, and I can appreciate that. Here with Dr. Ray Seaflick, 50 years a member of United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSPAA, is 26th year as the host on Friday night of the convention in Baltimore. Finally, Dr. Seaflick, for some of our young listeners, as you know, we've also introduced all the 30 under 30. We'll do the new class after the convention a couple of weeks as people get to know them. And we continue to get energized with youth. You know what that is all about. For some folks that are listening that haven't registered either for the convention or even to be a member of United Soccer Coaches, in your own words, why should they do it? Well, this is... Um this organization is is really meant to provide service. Uh, it's service to soccer. It's service to coaches. It has a sense of collegiality that uh, is not experienced in any other organization that I've ever been associated with. As an athletic director, I've been to the NCAA conventions and um, events such as that. But this, uh, they don't come close. When you get to a meeting involving the United Soccer Coaches, you meet coaches at all levels, and soccer coaches are very humble. You can walk up to an international coach and start chatting, and they'll be very receptive to you. That doesn't happen in other professional sports uh, or uh, organizations such as the basketball coaches' organizations and so on. Uh, with soccer, there is that sense of collegiality and sense of family is the best way I can describe it. And when our uh, forefathers back in 1941 uh, a couple of dozen of them sat around a table and formed the organization to improve the, the lot of soccer in this country. They started something that they never could have dreamed about, uh, an organization that's got about twenty to 30,000 people um, that meets once a year for this big family reunion. And so anybody that's interested in finding out uh, what soccer is all about, come to Baltimore, register for the convention, become a member, and you'll see a real soccer happening. Everything from clinics to meetings to uh, soccer vendors being on display. Uh, it, your head will be spinning for the days that you're there. I can guarantee it. The legend that is Dr. Ray Seafleet, 50 years a member of United Soccer Coaches and a legend also at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy as a coach and a director of athletics, a great husband and a great dad as well and a great friend. Dr. Ray Seaflick, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, and we will see you in Baltimore, my friend. Thanks for having me, Dean. Enjoy the holidays, folks. 
Thank you, Dr. Ray Sieplik, and we will do just that. Enjoy the holidays, and we'll also enjoy our visit with Kevin Sims. He will be the next president of United Soccer Coaches, and he's been with the association for 40 years. Kevin Sims, the next president of United Soccer Coaches. Now's the time to advance your coaching career and register for a United Soccer Coaches winter residential course. These courses will be held January 6th through the 10th in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Earn one of the five advanced diplomas offered this January and add to your coaching resume. Remember to register before December 6th to beat the price increase. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org for more information. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use, everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things and I think TeamSnap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. I want to thank the very funny Kevin Flynn, who's the host of Over the Ball, very successful comedian. He's been in several movies, but his real passion is soccer, and that's why we're all here with United Soccer Coaches. also want to thank Dr. Ray Seaflake, who will get his 50-year pin, and for 26 years, he's served as the host for the awards banquet on Friday night and the All-America banquet on Saturday, and a young man who's going to be the next president of United Soccer Coaches, and will also get his 40-year pin, that's right, 40-year pin on that Friday night is also a great friend to United Soccer Coaches. And for me, in the broadcast business, I think a great friend to the broadcast world because the man's got great pipes. He's a great public speaker. He could definitely do what I do. His name is Kevin Sims, who now lives in Charlotte, grew up in Georgia. He's a Cavalier, so he was definitely pretty happy last March, April. We know that when the Cavaliers won the national championship, and and more importantly, Kevin, come January, you're the next president of United Soccer Coaches, and I know you take a whole lot of pride in that. So let me start with that by saying happy holidays to you and congratulate you on what is imminent, you being president of this great association. Thank you, Dean, and certainly happy holidays to everybody else out there as well. Uh, All I can say about becoming the president in January is that I'm Grateful and humbled to have the opportunity to continue to serve the game and the association that I love. Um, I joined back in 1981 at the encouragement of my father, a sports parent who was slow to offer unsolicited advice, um, but he certainly thought I ought to step forward and, and join the association. And uh, I was also very pleased to accept his 60-year membership pin at last year's convention. And when I attended my first convention, uh, I was like a kid in a candy store. Everyone there was just so warm and welcoming and supportive. And uh, I, I hope that I'm able to continue that tradition to any uh, newcomers. I try to make a point of uh, soliciting who the, the new attendees are every year and then giving them as much love as I can get, as I can give, because uh, certainly that's the experience that I had. Well, I like that expression, kid in a candy store, because I feel like, Kevin, even as you're about ready to become president and get your 40-year pin, I feel like you still have that same attitude. You always have a smile from ear to ear. You are always kind of walking on air at the convention, 
because that's what it's about, right? Sharing ideas, networking, about being a family. Yeah, absolutely. And I haven't lost that feeling at all. Um, I have a number of people that I consider friends that more years than not, the only time I see them is at the convention. And I can't imagine anywhere else I could go where I get to rub elbows with and observe and hang out with and from time to time get to know people who are kind of movers and shakers in this game. Uh, I've been humbled and pleased to meet Pele on several occasions. And I first met him when I was a very young boy in Atlanta, Georgia, and to be able to extend that over the years, for example. I had the opportunity to get to know Walter Barr through this association and what the tremendous impact he's had on our soccer history. And, and I could sit here for the next hour going through that. So whether it's um, learning from the best of the best coaches or rubbing elbows with some of the best of the best players, um, I, I just can't get more excited. And that feeling has never waned, and I hope it never does. Well, you've always had this desire to be involved. You've been on the board of directors not once but twice, including this current stint since 2010. You've been the National High School Assistant Coach of the Year Committee. You've been part of the Annual Convention Introduction Committee, the Annual Convention Committee, the National High School Ethics Committee, the Winter and Spring Secondary Girls National Ranking Committee, the Region Chair for the Girls All-American Committee, the State Chair for the Boys and Girls All-America, the State Chair for the Secondary Boys Coach of the Year, and that probably doesn't touch everything else that you've done. But uh, you didn't just join, Kevin. You got, as they say in soccer, you got stuck in. You got involved. Why'd you do that? Well, you can't grow up in Bob Sims's household with not um, having some of that service mentality enter into it. And I knew that he had been active and had served over the years as well. And it certainly seemed natural to to do so. Another important aspect of this, when I joined in 1981, I was in my first teaching and coaching job at Norfolk Academy. And it was not typical for teachers to miss any school to speak of. At the same time, it was also important to the headmaster, Mr. John Tucker, that teachers get involved in professional development and get involved in national associations. So I somewhat sheepishly went to him in the fall of 1981 asking if I might have a couple of days out of school so that I might attend the convention in 1982. And I frankly didn't expect that that permission would be granted, but he granted the permission enthusiastically, but there were some caveats. He said to me, number one, I expect that whatever experience you have there makes our kids better, and I expect you to come back here and make our kids better. Number two, you're going to be learning about the profession of coaching, and I expect you to take notes, and I expect you to come back and report back to the coaching community here at the school what you got out of that convention experience, which I did every single year uh, moving forward as well. And the last thing he said to me is that if I'm going to let you go on the school's time to attend these conventions, then I expect you to serve that association, get involved, and become a leader. And I came to learn that he had that expectation of all of his faculty as they would go and join various associations. And the school has a rich history of a number of members of the faculty and coaching staff that are becoming very involved in associations at various levels and many people who became presidents of various associations. So I owe a little bit of uh, debt of gratitude to Mr. John Tucker uh, allowing me to begin to 
attend these conventions, but at the same time uh, requiring of me that I not simply go and be a bystander. Well, we certainly owe a great deal of gratitude to you for all of your service, and now you are the leader. You will be the president, and as you think about becoming the president in just a few weeks in Baltimore when Mr. Farnsworth, the current president, hands over the gavel to you, what are some things you want to try to accomplish during your service as the president of United Soccer Coaches, Kevin Sims? Um, Thanks for that question. The first thing I would probably say is that I've always liked to think of myself as a quintessential team player, and I see this opportunity to be president for the year not so much as a a, a year of terrific change and, and terrific initiative on behalf of Kevin Sims as much as I see it as an opportunity to wear the captain's armband for a year working with a great team. And the current board of directors is comprised of people that are deeply committed and deeply capable. Uh, we went through some governance changes a few years ago, and I think those have matured to a very healthy point. And I think we are in a bit of a launch position, if you will, on some other fronts as well, as some other things have matured. Um, I mentioned the governance model, and so we not only have streamlined the board leadership, but we've created numerous opportunities through the efficacy structure um, to see changes and see the association move forward in that vein. And I think that group has matured greatly and is at a point where they're going to be even better than they've ever been. Membership service growth and retention is uh, one of the the pillars that the board feels very strongly about. And we recently have brought a membership director on board. Um, And I think that's going to advance that mission uh, greatly, and and I hope that we can oversee um, that launch. Uh, Advocacy is incredibly important to us. and. Uh, we now have, I think, 12 or even more advocacy groups being represented out there, and I'm just really excited about the opportunity that we have to broaden the base of followership that we have and provide further opportunities for people to um, have their leadership in the game. Uh, education is certainly at the forefront of, of what we do and, and is the primary mechanism by which many people have come to the association. Uh, under the leadership of Ian Barker in the national office as director of education, I think our education is robust and innovative and creative, and uh, they keep expanding new frontiers. And, and as the board, we try to push the expansion of those frontiers as best we can. And at the same time, honor what we've done in education in the past, but it's critically important we, we look to the future. And my big thought is, is simply this. Having been a member for 40 years, I am somewhat nostalgic about the 40 years of my membership and and affinity I have for the people that have come before. At the same time, it's the membership of the next 40 years that's probably even more important in many ways. And so I find myself in this interesting space of wanting to at once both honor uh, all that has come before the association but try to do everything I can to ensure that the next 40 years goes even better. That's what a good captain does. I really, really do appreciate your answer and that analogy to wearing the captain's armband. I feel like, um, man, I almost want Jeff to kind of take it off his sleeve and just put it right on you up there as opposed to the gavel, Kevin. That was a great analogy, and I admire it. And, And with that, we need more people to join. And next week we'll meet the two gentlemen that are running to be on the board, Sean Danhauser and Rusty Oglesby, why is it important to have people step up and, and take on these roles on the board to 
eventually go through the cycle and become a president like you're going to become in January? Well, we have a very diverse set of people on the board, and I mean that from a sense of where they come from in the game, where they come from as people, where they come from in their lives. There's a very diverse set of skills that are there. Uh, One of the reasons that we did the governance change that came about several years ago was simply the idea that a group of soccer coaches may be somewhat limited in their scope of skills and, and exposure to various needs of leadership. And so we not only have um, soccer coaches on the board, but we have lawyers and marketing people and uh, finance-minded people. And I've come to learn over my years on the board that that diversity of strengths um, builds a better product. And so each and every year when the nominations committee gets together to decide who those nominees might be, they are very, very careful to try to ensure that that diversity and that skill set continues to evolve and continues to complement each other. So it's the wisdom of the Election and Nominations Committee that came up with these two fine candidates, uh, one of whom I've known for a good bit of time and the other one who is new to me, and I won't mention those names, but I did do research on the the gentleman that I don't know quite so well. And again, he has a, a terrific set of experiences and skills that he might bring to the table. And so to ensure the long-term success of the association and to uh, assure its growth, I highly recommend that each and every member uh, take a look at the resumes of the two uh, very strong candidates and make a decision that they think will continue the association on its best course. We're here with Kevin Sims. He is going to become the president of United Soccer Coaches in January at the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Jeff Farnsworth will make that handoff. What can you say about the job that Jeff Farnsworth did, not just as president, but like you, a long-time member and a long-time member that, like you, has been stuck in and got things done? Well, I have nothing but the deepest respect for Jeff and and really all the people that I've served under. Uh, Truth of the matter is my uh, initiation onto the board goes back to the year 2000 where Jay Engel was president that year. And I've had a few rotations off over the years, but um, I was the high school representative for quite a long time under uh, a great many presidents. And the overarching attribute that they all share is that they're just deeply passionate about this game, deeply passionate about working with young people, deeply passionate about serving, and and deeply passionate about the association. Jeff and I probably first got to know each other probably through the awards process that he served so brilliantly in for so many years. And uh, we have that shared affinity that we both come uh, with quite a bit of background from the high school world. Um, Having said that, uh, I don't think either of us wants to be thought of as exclusively high school coaches trying to serve the high school community. Both of us have uh, experiences in the collegiate game, both of us have experiences in the club game, both of us have experiences in the ODP game. So although my strongest uh, affiliation has been uh, as a high school coach since 1981, um, I've served the game and served players in uh, several different capacities. And I think that's true of everybody that I've worked with on the board. And as much as I have respect for Jeff and his leadership and his passion over the last year, I could absolutely make that same laudatory comment of everybody I've had the pleasure of working under. 
and I've learned from each and every one of them. Um, everybody has their own um, initiatives that, that seem to be of greatest importance to them and their own way of going about their business. Uh, but, of course, next year I just have to be true to Kevin Sims and hopefully um, reflect some of the wisdom I've gotten from my predecessors. Well, we love, like that, uh, what you broke down there as far as youth and high school and college. And you know what? Now that uh, you're there at Charlotte Country Day School, both academically and athletically, working with the boys' soccer team, I know you got to be excited about the announcement that uh, next year, I don't know how they're going to pull it off, but next year – Charlotte is going to have an MLS team. That is super exciting, Kevin. I mean, it's just as excited as you were about Virginia winning that basketball championship. I got to believe having an MLS team right there in what is now your your hometown in Charlotte, you got to be pretty fired up, sir. I'm very fired up about it. And after the news hit, I thought, well, I've got to get on the web here and see what I can find out. And I went online the day after the announcement to sign up to get in the queue for my season tickets. And little did I know that having waited 24 hours to do so, I had already been superseded by about 7,000 people. So the enthusiasm here in Charlotte apparently is, is quite strong. Um, I am an Atlanta native, and I couldn't be more excited about the success of the Atlanta United franchise as it launched, and I couldn't be a bigger fan of Atlanta United soccer. And now it's going to be certainly a regional rivalry, I would think, very naturally between Charlotte and Atlanta. Uh, Nashville coming on board gives another sort of rival in the southeast, if you will. Um, so I am thrilled that instead of having to get in a car and drive to Atlanta through all that traffic to get to a ball game or head elsewhere, um, that there's going to be the opportunity right here in my own backyard. And I'm also excited about what it's going to mean to, to soccer uh, with all the youth that are coming along in Charlotte, um, I have this very strong feeling that kids need to go watch quality soccer. I think the the watching of the soccer and then the imitation of the soccer probably means as much to a player's development as anything else. And the United States being so incredibly big as it is, I think a lot of kids across the country that are trying to become better soccer players are missing that element. As compared to 40 years ago, everybody can get on TV now and spend more hours than they have in any day watching the game. But I still think the passion of the environment, watching the game live, and what it can mean to leaving impressions in your mind uh, simply can't be substituted with what's on TV. Uh, when I watched Pele play with his Santos team against the Atlanta Chiefs back in the 1960s, the indelible impression it made upon me and the inspiration it fed into me about wanting to become a better player myself, um, I, I can't imagine there's any real substitute for that. So the fact that MLS is expanding its footprint, uh, I think is terrific, and I'm just thrilled that that's going to happen right here in my backyard. Kevin Sims, the next president of United Soccer Coaches. I wasn't kidding, folks. I'm telling you, I could listen to him read the phone book, and he is so <laughs> eloquent uh, about talking soccer as well. And because of that, Kevin, my last question it's going to be the cool. same one that I asked Dr. Ray Steeplake, and that was for those people that might be listening right now that have not done one of two things, that is register to be at the convention in Baltimore or, in fact, just be a member of United Soccer Coaches, in your own words, the new incoming president of United Soccer Coaches, Kevin Sims, why should they do one or both of those things? 
Well, you should attend the convention for the reasons I think I mentioned previously, which is simply this. There, I don't think there's any other opportunity on planet Earth where you're going to be in proximity to great soccer coaching minds, great soccer coaches, and great players as well. And uh, if you are passionate about soccer, attending the convention can only increase that passion. I happened to post on my Facebook page last night about registering for the convention, and I simply said this, in my 40 years of attending the convention and being in touch in touch with conventioneers, the number of people who have expressed regret over having attended the convention, that comes to approximately zero. The number of coaches that I know who have had to miss the convention for various circumstances over the years typically express deep regret over having not been able to get there. So I think that track record speaks for itself. And you will develop relationships and become aware of opportunities that you didn't know existed. And so um, as a coach, whether it's wanting to find other avenues to compete with your team or learn what's going on at the leading edge of the game at the professional level or how to cope with the challenges you face dealing with young children or parents, every conceivable topic is going to be covered and touched on somewhere in that convention. So if coaches proactively go through the schedule and think about their own needs and desires as a soccer coach, they'll be able to tick off uh, quite the list there. And then there's going to be random uh, interactions throughout the convention that are probably going to light them up as well. I don't know what my random interactions that are going to light me up are going to be in January, but I know that they're going to be there, and I know that they're going to happen, and I'm looking forward to it. Kevin Sims the incoming president of United Soccer Coaches. Always a pleasure, whether it's on the podcast or just meeting him in the hallway or anywhere. He is so passionate about the association, and we appreciate it. Kevin, happy holidays. Congratulations on all you've done, 40 years with your organization, and congratulations on the well-deserved honor of becoming the president in January, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you very much, Dean, and we deeply appreciate the service that you've um, given to the association over the years. I look forward to uh, seeing you and sharing with you and Jane. All right, what a great show. Kevin Flynn, Kevin Sims, and Dr. Ray Seaflick. Happy holidays, everybody. On behalf of everybody at United Soccer Coaches, including Michael Knipper and Sean Trevor, I'm Dean Linke. See you same time, same channel. 